want to know the, the, the price, it'll cost you Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good. So glad that you're here with us today. Jeremy is my name, and I am stoked to be able to open the Word of God with you today. Before we do that, I just want to highlight our Mexico trip one more time. Uh, it was a trip that I've been able to be a part of for several years and saw so many lives change. So if you've got a son or a daughter who is a high school student or a grandchild who is a high school student, go out to the ministry mall afterwards, get signed up. I guarantee you this trip is a life changer. So again, just love our young people here at Shelter Cove. In fact, so many of the missionaries that we currently support started out on this mission trip to Mexico, and they're now full-time missionaries, which is just absolutely awesome. So stoked about that. Hey, go ahead and grab your Bibles. Turn to Genesis 1, chapter, uh, or verse 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. One of the ushers will get one to you in just a moment. Uh, and again, we are kicking off this brand new series today titled All In. Our word for the year is more. Our verse is John 3.30, where John the Baptist said, He must increase and I must decrease. In other words, Jesus must become more and I must become less. And in this series over the next seven weeks titled All In, we're going to be looking at these areas of our lives where we struggle to be all in in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So we're going to be looking at today relationships. We're going to be looking at all in with our mouths, all in with our time, all in with our finances, all in with the church. Because when we choose to follow Jesus Christ, it's not this partial commitment. It's not this half-hearted commitment. It's a commitment that says, God, I am all in with you. Jesus put it this way, if anybody wants to follow me, he must deny himself pick up his cross, and follow me. In other words, Jesus said, if you want to follow me, your life is no longer about yourself. It is all about me. And as we begin this relationship uh, message today, there's not a person in this room that hasn't in some way, shape, or form been impacted by relationships. And so today I pray that God uses his word to encourage you, to inspire you, to challenge you, to have godly relationships. Uh, but there's several of you here today where, where you've got marriages that are hurting, marriages that are falling apart. You are wounded right now. You're in a season of hurt, season of pain. And I'm going to be praying in a special way that God encourages your heart, that God ministers to your heart in a special way. In powerful way. Let me set the stage of what's going on in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1 verse 1 says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Who created the earth and the heavens? God did, very clearly in scripture. And over the next six days God's going to create. Day one is light, day two is land, day three is vegetation and trees, day four is the sun the moon, the stars, day five is the birds and the fish, day six is creatures and humans, and as God creates, at the end of the day, 
It says in the word of God, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good. Verse 26 of chapter 1, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And this is the first time in the scriptures where we see the Trinity, one God, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God in relationship. And then verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. At the end of chapter one, it says that God saw that it was very good. And then chapter two, verse 18, would you stand as we honor the reading of God's word? After God created and said it was good, it was good, it was good. Verse 18, Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we honor you today. We ask, we invite, we beg that you would change us. That you would speak to us, that you would minister to us. God, for those where we are in the middle of relationship chaos... Would you do what only you can do to our hearts and lives? God, we we need you. Speak. Speak clearly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before you sit down, give somebody a hug next to you, all right? Give somebody a hug. Say, it's good to see you. And the single people are hugging multiple people, right? Hey, uh, inside your bulletins are sermon notes. Great way to track along with the message today. On the back, there's a blank, uh, just open sheet of paper. You can write down just principles, whatever God says to you, speaks to you. If you got something you want to share with your kids, somebody else, write that down. You may be tempted to elbow the person next to you and say, hey, you should probably be writing this down. Uh, refrain from that temptation, but we're going to have a blast today as we talk about relationships, and we're diving right in. First point in our notes is we see that we were created for relationships. We were created for relationships. And all the introverts right now are freaking out, right? Uh, We were created for relationships. Genesis chapter 2, God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Solomon, arguably the wisest person that's ever lived, in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, put it this way. He said, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his friend. And I'm amazed over the last 20 years, as I talk to people, as I listen to people, the greatest challenge, the greatest issue, the greatest burden that we have in our lives is hands down relationships. You talk about the source of our pain, the source of our heartache, it's it's relationships. It could be a marriage, it could be a friend, it could be a coworker. You think about it, everything in life has to do with relationships. And if you were to describe the average relationship that you have, for most of us, we would say it's unhealthy and surviving. It's unhealthy and it's surviving. I was studying at a coffee shop on Friday, uh, just praying through the message, and there was a mom and a daughter sitting next to me. The daughter was probably 18, 19 years old. I could tell it started getting heated the conversation, I had my headphones in, I could still hear what they were saying. The daughter 
ends up getting frustrated at her mom, and in a voice that gets increasingly louder says, Mom, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to argue with her. You And she gets up and she walks away and sits at the other side of the coffee shop. Unhealthy relationships and surviving. So the question that I want to ask us today is simply this. How do we experience healthy and thriving relationships? How do we experience the joy and the peace and the harmony that God wants us to have, not just in our relationship with him, but our relationship with the other people? And today we're going to look at three different principles, three different principles that will radically transform our relationships. Because first of all, if we will embrace these principles, the first person that they're going to radically transform is us. These are simple principles we see in Scripture, but oh, they're radically profound. Principle number one is a commitment to love. A commitment to love. And we see this very clearly in Scripture when Jesus was asked by a religious leader, what's the greatest commandment? In Matthew chapter 22, this is how Jesus responded. Jesus, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And I love how Jesus starts with the heart. He says it starts with your heart, but he says you are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. And if we're honest and we realize our sinfulness and we realize our selfishness, if this religious leader would have realized this, we would automatically respond, we can't do that in and of ourselves. We are flawed. We are selfish. We are sinful. We, we need somebody to, to heal us, to restore us, to forgive us, because we are incapable, humanly speaking, of loving God with all that we are and all that we have. And that's why in Ezekiel chapter 36, Ezekiel says that we're literally going to have a heart transplant, that God's going to remove our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh, and he's going to give us a Holy Spirit that will allow us to have the power to walk in obedience in all areas of our lives. So for us to love God with all that we are, we have to understand that, humanly speaking, we cannot do that. We need salvation. We need to be saved. That's why Jesus Christ died on the cross in our place, so that we can have access to a holy God, be restored with a holy God, so that we can have the heart of God that allows us to love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength. The second thing we need to realize, though, is not only are we incapable of loving God with our own strength, we need to allow ourselves to be loved by God completely. There are probably people that you know that go from relationship to relationship to relationship looking for love that only God can provide. It's a love that's fulfilling. It's a love that's filled with joy. It's a love that allows us to be content. Why? Because it's perfect love. Only God provides perfect love. And we we have to understand this and embrace this until we allow ourselves to be fully and completely loved by Jesus. We will constantly be looking for that love from other people in a way that will always let us down. And so first of all, foundationally, we need to embrace this commitment to love where God gives us this new heart to love him, but we're also allowing ourselves to be loved by God. And then where does it start? It starts with a love in your notes for Jesus. 
First love that we need to have that's foundational is Jesus. What does that mean? The greatest treasure, the greatest relationship that we have is Jesus. Now, we give our lives to Jesus Christ, and when that happens, we love him with all that we have. But as we go through life, and as we sin, and as we disappoint God, we will experience his grace, and his mercy, and his compassion, and his kindness in ways that increase our love for him that increase our devotion to him. And if we get our love relationship with Jesus wrong, if our love relationship with Jesus is off, every other relationship we have will be off. I have the privilege to meet with married couples at times that are struggling. And before we begin the long conversation, first question I always ask is, tell me about your relationship with Jesus. Because if there's a lack of attending a weekend service, a lack of praying together, a lack of devotion to the word of God, a lack of a relationship with Jesus Christ, our marriage, our relationships will always be wrong. They'll always be off. So it starts with this love relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. And from there, second of all in your notes, it's this commitment to love others. It's this commitment to love others. Now, our love for others is based upon the love that Jesus has for us. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because we do a really good job loving ourselves. It's not a struggle to love ourselves. Our love for others is not based upon the way that they love us. Don't miss that. Our love for others is based upon the way Jesus has loved us. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't set boundaries in our lives. That doesn't mean we allow ourselves to be hurt time and time again. It doesn't mean that we don't have difficult conversations. It doesn't mean that we enable others in our lives. For some of us, the most loving conversation that we could have this week is to our 27-year-old son and say, son, you've been living in the garage long enough. Oh, it's about to get real in here. Uh, You've been playing video games too long. You haven't had a job in five years. In four months, you will be out of the house. Why? Because we love them. Love does not mean enablement. Love is loving people the way that Jesus Christ loves us. And as I look at Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, what do we see? We see God in relationship, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We see God creating us for relationship in Genesis chapter 2. What happens in Genesis chapter 3? Adam and Eve disobey God. They break their relationship with God. Chapter 4, what happens? Cain kills Abel. Anytime we are breaking our relationship with God, we're wrong with our relationship with God, our relationships with others will always be off. They will always be flawed. They will always be wrong. But foundationally, we need to live a life where we have this commitment to love, first of all, Jesus, then others, that is necessary for healthy and thriving relationships. Principle number one is a commitment to love. Principle number two is character reflecting Jesus. Character reflecting Jesus. What is character? Character is who we are. It's lived out by how we treat others. What is the greatest characteristic? The greatest character in healthy, thriving relationships. What's foundational? Well, I believe one of them is trust. Write that down in your notes. T-R-U-S-T. Why can we have such a great relationship with Jesus Christ? Because he is completely trustworthy. His character never changes. He is always the same. He will never lie to us. 
I love the way Paul unwraps it in Colossians chapter 3. And you're going to dive into this more in your life groups this week when it talks about character that's necessary for healthy, thriving relationships. Paul puts it this way. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive, and above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I love that. As God's chosen people, holy and beloved. What does holy mean? Set apart. That means that our character, our relationships, should be different from the world. That's what holy means. Set apart, different, separate, beloved. You're loved. When we know that we're loved by God, it changes everything. And he says there's five areas of character that you need to be intentional to put on every day. It's a choice. And if we're not intentional, if we're not careful, we'll do what's easy. We'll do what's natural. We'll do what's fleshly. If I allowed my son to pick out his clothes every day, my sixth uh, grade son, he would wear sweatpants to school every single day. And I have to tell him, you got, you, dude, you got to change your clothes. You can't, you can't wear that. There are some of us here, spiritually speaking, when it comes to our character, where we need to change our clothes. And he says, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. That, that's somebody that's fun to be around. I, I pray that when people come to Shelter Cove, they, they look and they interact and they're like, man, that's some compassionate people. That's some gentle people. That's some kind people. That's some humble people. That's some patient people. Why? Because we have chosen to put on the character of Jesus Christ in a way that not only transforms us, but that will transform every relationship that we have. But he doesn't stop there. He says, bear with one another and forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive one another. Why is forgiveness so important? Because when we forgive, we're demonstrating the character of Jesus. Jesus came to forgive. He came to redeem. He came to restore. And so when we forgive one another, we are literally being like Jesus. But why else is forgiveness so important? Because forgiveness is freeing. What happens when we don't forgive? We are bitter, miserable people. We're, we're, we're bitter, miserable people. And there are so many of us that buy into the lie that say, you know what, I'm not going to forgive this person. I'm going to be bitter against them and miserable, and it's not going to impact any of my other relationships. But that's not what bitterness does. Bitterness is a cancer. Bitterness, if we don't deal with it in our lives, will impact and influence every relationship that we have. Peter asked Jesus, how many times shall I forgive my brother? Seven, seven times? And Jesus said, no, not seven times. 77 times. In other words, we need to live lives where we're not keeping track of how much we forgive others. Why? Because God's not keeping track of how much he forgives us. Now let me just clarify. Forgiveness does not mean that we're condoning what somebody else has done. When we forgive somebody, we're not saying, hey, what you did is okay. We're not saying what you did is not that big of a deal. We're not saying what you did is, is something that's not going to really uh, uh, hurt me for a, little, for a while. We're not saying that. Forgiveness is not condoning. Also, forgiveness is not forgetting. 
A lot of times we think, you know what, I, I'm going to forgive and forget. And we've been, some of us have been so wounded and so hurt by things that have been said to us, done to us, where we will battle that for the rest of our lives. But with the help of Jesus Christ, we can forgive people. And we're going to say, God, I'm going to let you take the punishment out on them. And we're going to experience freedom and allow the past to truly be the past. And Paul ties the bow on this and says, over all these things put on love, which binds everything together. See, forgiveness is about my attitude, not about somebody else's action. And as we're putting on the character of Jesus Christ, this is something moms and dads, we need to model to our kids. Five minutes after the conversation with that 18-year-old gal and her mom, and she was she was raising her voice, talking disrespectful to her mom. Her mom hopped on the phone and had a conversation with somebody else. And she was talking loud. She was talking disrespectful. And it was easy to see, most likely, the reason why this daughter was talking to her mom that way is repeatedly she had seen her mom talking this way to other people. If we're going to have healthy, thriving relationships, first of all, we need to commit to love. Second of all, we need character reflecting Jesus. And then thirdly, we need choices reflecting Scripture. We need to make choices reflecting Scripture. Because every day is a choice. We will either choose to please God or we will choose to please ourselves. Colossians chapter 3, 17, Paul puts it this way, and whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So we need to think, think biblically. The world says it's all about you. It's all about what you want. It's all about self. The Bible says nothing about self. What the Bible says is that we need to die to self. And so if we're going to be making choices, reflecting Scripture, the one thing we filter everything through is, God, how do I honor you in this situation? God, how do I honor you in my marriage even though I'm frustrated right now? God, how do I honor you with the way I discipline my kids? How do I honor you with my friendships? And refuse to compromise. Because we can be people that see the compromise in other people, but yet are blinded by the compromise in our own life. And there's these two areas where we commit to honoring God. First of all, in your notes, honoring God when we're single. Because that's where it starts. Before any of us ever get married, we always have a season of singleness. And this starts from the time we are we're born and out of the womb and in the elementary years, junior high, high school, college, all of these years, we're honoring God. And there is nothing wrong with being single, and there's nothing wrong with being single and desiring to be married. But before we even get married, we have to be a single person that says, God, I want to live a life that's all about you. I want to live a life that's honoring you because the habits we form while we're single will be habits that carry over into our marriage. Solomon put it this way. Solomon in Proverbs 13, 20 said, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. It's amazing how the, the way that we choose our friends is often a way that we choose our spouse. One of the greatest lies that single people listen to is everything will change when I get married. God, I, I'm lying right now, but when I get married, 
I'll speak the truth. It doesn't work that way. God, I'm in financial ruin, and I've made a number of financial mistakes, and I'm not good with finances, but when I get married, that will change. It doesn't work that way. God, I'm addicted to porn right now, but when I get married, uh, my spouse will, will just meet all of my needs, and I'll never struggle with that, and that issue will go away. It doesn't work that way. We need to be people that are honoring God in the midst of our singleness. Now, how do you know where you're, when you're in a place to start dating? How do you know when you're in a place where you're going to be in a dating relationship that's healthy so that you can be in a marriage that's healthy? I want to give you three things. If you're single here, if you know people that are single, write these down. Number one is a healthy relationship with Jesus. If you don't have a healthy relationship with Jesus, you should not be dating somebody. Why? Because a healthy relationship with Jesus is what will make a dating relationship healthy. A unhealthy relationship with Jesus is what will allow there to be an unhealthy dating relationship. And you can ask yourself, if if you want to know how healthy your walk with Christ is, is how do you respond to sin in your life? Do you run from God or do you run to God? Are you filled with his compassion and his forgiveness and comfortable in his love and satisfied in his love? Number one is a healthy relationship with Jesus. Two is Christian community. Christian community. You have Christians in your life that are praying for you, that love you, that will speak truth to you, that will tell you, hey, you shouldn't be hanging out with this person. Or, hey, congratulations, I'm super glad that you're in this relationship. This guy or this girl is a great person. People that keep you accountable, people that love you, people that are truly good friends. So it's a a relationship with Jesus that's healthy. It's Christian community. Number three, and this is the big one, motivation. One word, motivation. I believe biblically the motivation for dating should be marriage. And now, sadly, there are so many people that date for so many different reasons. There are a lot of guys that date and ask gals out on dates because they are totally insecure of themselves. And so our motivation needs to be marriage. What does that mean? Does that, that means that my daughter who is in the second grade right now, when she's in the eighth grade and she meets this boy and she wants to start dating, my answer will be absolutely not. In fact, I just told her this last week, hey, Hallie, you can start dating when you're 30, all right? I just want to, it's a lot easier to back down the ages than to increase them. Now, she'll be able to go to prom and all that kind of stuff, but guess who's going to be the chaperone, <laughs> right? But, but I believe, you know, if you, if you want those healthy dating relationships, a healthy relationship with Jesus Christ, Christian community, and looking at our motivation. Some of you are thinking, you know what, you're single here today, and you're thinking, you know what, you have no idea, Jeremy. I'm tired of being alone. I'm tired of being lonely and miserable. It's just me at the house with my rabbit, right? It's just, I'm just, I'm just alone. I'm lonely and miserable. Single people don't miss this. You know what's worse than being single, lonely, and miserable? Is being married lonely and miserable because you didn't honor God according to the scriptures. God wants you to get married. He's going to have the perfect person that he will bring into your life at the perfect timing. And the challenge is waiting and praying and seeking God. But it's honoring God when we're single. Second of all, it's not just honoring God when we're single. It's honoring God when we're married. It's honoring God when we're married. Now, the, the, the 
world would define marriage probably in the, the terms of three rings, right? The engagement ring, the wedding ring, and suffering, right? That's probably what the world would do, how the world would define marriage. The Bible is very different. Biblically, what is marriage? Marriage is between one biological man and one biological woman for life, commitment for life, where there is mutual love and there is mutual respect. All sexuality is done only in the relationship of a married couple in any kind of sexual activity outside of a marriage is both unhealthy, sinful, and wrong. And I tell you that because I love you. In fact, Jesus defined marriage this way in Mark chapter 10. He says, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Right there, let me pause. Jesus is reaffirming the Genesis account of marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Again, this lifelong commitment. Solomon put it this way in Proverbs 2.4, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Proverbs 31.10, An excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels. And we see the value of a woman who loves the Lord. We see the value in Scripture also of the man who loves the Lord. And yet there are lies that we can believe if we're not careful when it comes to marriage. And I want to share three of them with you today. Lie number one is that marriage is easy. I said that at the traditional service and everybody started laughing because they've been married for a really long time. Mar marriage is easy. And, and here's some of the stuff that we battle with um, as married couples, like the the blankets on the bed. Um, this is what uh, some would be tempted to do, right? Because you're constantly tugging the blankets back and forth, and you get to a point where you just handle nails in the blankets and say, you know what, my spouse is not going to steal the blankets tonight. Here's another thing that we battle is the toothpaste, right? You get the people that are really neat and the people that are very sloppy, right? And here's the other challenge uh, that we face is the great debate, is it A or is it B? Is it forwards? Is it backwards? How many of you believe that A is the correct way to do the toilet paper? Raise your hand. Come on, everybody, be honest. Good. How many of you think B is the correct way? Wow. Well, hey, back in 1891, when toilet paper was invented, this is the correct way to do the toilet paper. I just solved all of your marriage problems right there, all right? But marriage is not easy. And we give in to the lie that, that marriage is easy. You know, in, across the nation, the national average of divorce is 50%. California, if you look at the statistics, it's anywhere between 60 and 75%, which really isn't a good statistic because so many people are now cohabitating instead of actually getting married. When I meet with couples that I counsel for premarital counseling, the one question I ask is, why will your marriage succeed when so many others are failing? Why is your marriage going to be different? How will it survive? How will it thrive? The guy um, a while back that looked at his fiance, nodded at her, then looked at me, and he said, here's why. We're fully committed to God. We are fully committed to each other, and divorce is not an option. And I was like, mic drop, wow. 
that was a good response. One of the greatest lies is that marriage is easy. I had a friend named Michael before I got married that came up to me. said, Jeremy, um, the enemy's going to lie to you a lot after you get married. In fact, two months after you get married, three months after you get married, you may buy into the lie and think, man, what did I do? Because he said the first year can be brutal for some couples. I just love the fact that he loved me enough to share that with me. I remember two months, three months into our marriage, Kelly and I had gotten into an argument of some, some kind. I remember him saying that to me, saying that you're going you're gonna to think this. What did I do? Now, I may have had a brief thought of that two to three months after we got married, but my poor wife is still having that thought 17 years <laughs> after we've been married. I remember the first year, the, the first several years probably, um, one of my greatest challenges looking back, and I just want to be super transparent, um, one of the reasons that kept me from being the spouse that I believe God wanted me to be is that I spent more time trying to change my wife than I spent seeking God and wanting God to change me. And that's a careful trap that all of us can fall into. And God's done a mighty work in my life. And I think it's so much easier to fall into the trap of focusing on your spouse instead of focusing on, God, who do you want me to be as a husband? God, who do you want me to be as a wife? Lie number one is that marriage is easy. Lie number two is this. My sin or my spouse's sin is so bad that I need to get a divorce. My sin or my spouse's sin is so bad that I need to get a divorce. It's a lie that so many people get, give into. Now, you may be asking, but Jeremy, doesn't it say in Matthew chapter 19, verse 9, that if there is sexual immorality, sex outside of a marriage, adultery, that uh, marriage is permissible, marriage is, or uh, divorce is okay? Uh, yet, yes, Jesus does say that, that it, divorce is allowed, but it's not encouraged. We should be people that are fighting for our marriage. There's countless couples right here in this church where there has been adultery, there's been multiple affairs, they have walked the journey of forgiveness, walked the journey of grace, and now they have a stronger marriage than they've ever had before, because why? With God, all things are possible. But lie number two is that my sin or my spouse's sin is so bad I need to get a divorce. And lie number three is simply this, there's no hope for my marriage it can't be fixed. There's no hope. My spouse will never change. It's always going to be this way. I'm tired of just acting like roommates instead of being a spouse. And I, I just want to lovingly say that, man, I'm, I'm really sorry if you're in that situation currently. But again, God can do a greater work than we could ever imagine. You may be saying, I can't have a Christ-centered marriage right now. Maybe not. But you can choose to have a Christ-centered heart, a heart that says, I'm committed to love. I'm going to choose character reflecting Jesus, and I'm going to make choices reflecting Scripture. Tom Brady, a lot of people hate him, all right? Let me just throw that out there. Here's why he's so successful as a quarterback. Not just because he has a good arm, not just because he has good players around him, but in every, every single game, he refuses to give up. Last year in the Super Bowl, the Patriots were down by 25. Why did they win? 
Why did they experience victory? Because he's a man that refuses to give up. Last week they were down again. What happened? Refuse to give up. Next week, we're going to all watch the Super Bowl. Eagles up against the Patriots. I would not be surprised if the Patriots win. I'm not saying I'm rooting for them. Why? You've got a man that even when the stakes are down, he refuses to give up. What if you treated your marriage that way? What if you said, even though I'm down, even though the stakes are down, even though it doesn't look good, I'm going to refuse to give up? Commitment to love, character reflecting Jesus, choices reflecting scripture. Now, what keeps us from experiencing healthy and thriving relationships? In your notes, two things. Number one, it's hurt from the past. Hurt from the past. The worst pain that we experience in this life is relational pain. For some of us, um, past wounds, past experiences, past relationships, it's, it's just hurt. If we don't deal with that, we, we remain hurt, and hurt people hurt people. But here's, here's another thing. We can allow Jesus to heal us. And healed people help heal people. When we experience that healing that only comes from Jesus Christ, yes, time is a great healer, but God is the best healer. So next to your notes, next to the hurt from the past, right, healing. Right, healing next to that. Because God can heal any of us. Not only is it hurt from the past, but second of all, it's fear of the future in your notes. God, what if, what if I don't get married? What if there's not a husband out there for me? What if there's not a wife out there for me? God, what if I, I just need to take things into my own hands? Well, if you start taking things into your own hands and you compromise, you're going to have a relationship that's unhealthy and surviving instead of healthy and thriving. So last week, uh, I had the privilege to go to Disneyland with a family, and uh, I was talking to Kelly, my wife, ahead of time, and was, was excited and, and kind of dreading the trip at the same time. And here's why. Our seven-year-old daughter, um, Hallie, we just absolutely love her. She's just been going through a season of, of um, just being very difficult, defiant, and just concerned that we'd spend this money on Disneyland, and it would just be a miserable trip. Hurt from the past, fear of the future. We got down there and, and uh, had some friends ask, hey, how can I be praying for you? And I just said, I just, I just want to make it to the best of my ability, a great experience for my wife, Kelly, and a great experience for the kids, meaning it's not about, I don't want it to be about me at all. And so we got down there in Disneyland first day. It was a rough morning. Got to the park and we went on It's a Small World. That's the only ride that Hallie went on. And so when I asked her, hey, what was your favorite ride? It was really easy for her to answer that question. Uh, and so she, the rest of the time, didn't want to go on any rides. And so you got Hallie that doesn't want to go on rides. you got our special needs son, Jacob, who's 13, who, where it's difficult for him to go on rides. And we got our middle son, Drew, who wants to go on rides. You talk about a crazy family vacation. And so Kelly's off with Drew going on rides. I'm feeding Jake. And I ask Hallie, hey, can I just hold you? And so we're sitting across from the Matterhorn, and I'm sitting, and she crawls up on my lap, and she puts her shoulder, her head on my shoulder. For just 15 minutes, I'm able to give her a little back massage and just hold her. And in that moment, I realize that Disneyland is not about the rights. It's about the relationships. You guys, life is not about work. It's not about stuff. It is all about relationships. 
And it's only when we're all in with our relationship with Jesus Christ that we can be all in with others and experience healthy and thriving relationships. And here's the question I want to leave you with today. Is where in your relationships do you need to be all in? Is it in your marriage? Is it a friendship? Is it in your perspective on dating where you're saying, God, I'm just going to trust you? Or maybe it's your relationship with Jesus and you're saying, God, I've been doing things my way and I want you to be not just Savior of my life, but Lord of my life. Let's bow and let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we think about relationships, God, thank you for being all in with us. Never hold back your love. Never hold back who you are. You are fully invested in us. And so today, our prayer is that you would change our hearts. God, for many of us, we're battling fear, hesitation, probably bitterness, resentment. God, where we need to forgive, would you help us with that? Because we admit that it's difficult. With all heads bowed, nobody looking around, if you're here today and, and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you were to die today, you don't know if you would spend eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. And you want to leave here with a confident assurance that only comes from Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived a perfect life, went to the cross, died in your place for your sin, that you would have access to a holy God. And if you're saying, I just, I just want to be right with God today. I want to be all in with my relationship with Jesus. I want to know that I'm forgiven. You can do that right now. That's your heart. When I count to three, would you just raise your hand? One, two, three. That's your heart today. Good. I see that hand. See that hand. I see that hand. Raise it up and look at me wherever you're at. Good. I see those hands. See that hand. Is there anybody else? You say, I just want to be all in with my relationship with Jesus. I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. Is there anybody else? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for these hands that were raised today. These hearts that were changed. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Protect them. Thank you that the rest of their life will be the best of their life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.